Hi Chris, how are you? Good evening Rod. Yes, I'm well and here we are, 4th of December, on a very soggy day, and it's episode 97. It is indeed. Uh, I was speaking to my parents who are in the frozen north beyond the wall uh, of Scotland and they haven't got snow because they live on an island, but uh, it's absolutely, as they put it, Baltic up there. Yeah, I can understand that. It must be fresh. I mean, it was very cold here over the weekend. It's warmed up slightly, but the the cold has been replaced by water and it's very yeah. wet. Yeah, this is the joys of living in a coastal area and an island most of the time is what you get is a lot of rain and fog and freezingness, but not actual snow for us in the south. Yeah, there's not a lot of snow. We had some we had some flecks and that's probably about as far as it went. But um, hey-ho, such is life. I do like having different weather, I must confess. The seasons, yeah. it gives you a sense of the year, doesn't it? I quite enjoy it. Yeah, I'd go with that. It's nice to a bit of sunshine and all the rest of it. And, you know, we appreciate the sun more when it comes, I guess, but that's that's that. And we're talking about the weather again. We love the weather. Anyway, should we get straight into follow-up then? Let's do a little bit of follow-up. So I put this one in here. You had it in news. I moved it to follow-up because I, I just wanted to talk about Zoom. And you can now get Zoom on the Apple TV 4K. You do need the second general newer. And Apple, with their usual naming, it's hard sometimes to know which model you've got. But it's probably one that's come out in the last two versions. We're on, we're on Gen 3 now, which I think you bought one. And we've got Gen 2, which was the first one, if I remember, that shipped with the nice silver remote, even though it was still lightning. I've got a bunch of them, so I think I'm good. And I joined the meeting today, our Zoom call that we have to do the podcast, and I installed the Zoom app and I joined on my telly. And I must confess, considering I can get continuity camera work throughout the beta period, it worked really well. Now my TV is running TVRS 17.2, so the latest beta, and so is my phone, but it all worked. Like I literally just said, I'm Chris, and it goes, right, you're Chris, and we can use your iPhone. And then it says, put your camera landscape and face you. Did all that, and away we went. And it was super easy. It just gave me the code to log in for the meeting and the passcode, and away we were. I think both Zoom and Apple have done a great job of turning a device that doesn't have a camera into a video conference device. I'd love to see Teams do it and use it for work, because for me, that'd be quite neat. I could have it on there. I could sit on my sofa. I could use my iPad. I'd love to try it. So I'm curious to see where this is going to go. I think it's a good thing. And this is the promise of the Apple TV, isn't it? Is that you've got apps. So in the same way Zoom has come now, uh, over the weekend there was a bunch of VPN apps like ExpressVPN have said they're down there for the Apple TV as well. This can only be a good thing. So uh, I was quite impressed with how easy you had it. I had a little device ad on Zoom on my end saying new, new room was joining. And there you were. And I could see the back of your head and the front of your head for change. So, you know, uh, nice to get that extra perspective on you. Yeah, you got to see a bit more of the shed. I think it's quite cool and quite an affordable way to turn a room into a video conference room. If you're going in for a video conference, like I say, you just need your phone or an old phone would probably work just as well. I was just really impressed with it. Like I said, I'd love to see Teams do this, but Teams were not on the announcement roster. It was WebEx and Zoom when Apple first announced this feature. Interesting that they're launching now like with the VPN apps, as you say, and the web conferencing one, because... It's not like a new version of TVRS has come out. You know, we're still on TVRS 17.1, which is the one that's not in beta mode. So it's odd that they're coming out now, but hey-ho, it is, is what it is. Um, but I think it's really good. And I think, I stand by my claim earlier in the year, Apple have done the most on TVRS this year than all of their OSs, I think. Like, it's got the most notice, noticeable changes straight out the, out the bat, I think. Yeah, I'd go with that. They're obviously building on a fairly solid foundation at this point. On that note, and it's not in our news, but if you are on iOS 17 point whatever or macOS, 
whatever, upgrade, make sure you've upgraded. There's a fairly nasty security exploit in the wild that's being actively exploited. So just make sure you run your software update um, and get bang up to date. Yeah, agreed. Always install the updates. No brainer. Yeah, although I wish they wouldn't hide away major version of the OSs at the bottom, both on Mac OS and on iOS. Lots of people go, oh, I'm up to date, and they're running a version of the OS from two years ago or three years ago because they haven't spotted the little extra bit at the bottom they've got to click. So I think that's a bit... They need to make that more explicit. I thought they had got they get more aggressive with that over time of actively pushing that. That was my understanding, but I'm happy to be wrong. I checked my mother-in-law's Mac, and she was two versions out of date. Well, that's not good. You're obviously yeah, a bad f- son-in-law because you're not keeping her up to date. I don't go there very much. Hey, it's the same with mine. <laughs> I, I think father-in-law's is four versions out, but it's the latest his hardware will take. So I keep trying to suggest now's the time to get a new Mac. But I think generally now is the time. I agree. And on that, our main show today, a little segue and a teaser for later, we're going to talk about potential little gift ideas for Christmas while we've still got time to do it, or the festive season, I should say. Yeah, festive season. Let's let's go with that. Um, you've got uh, Apple Music wrapped as well in follow-up. I do. So uh, if you haven't been paying attention and you subscribe to Apple Music, Spotify did theirs too. You had your end-of-the-year wrap-up for the kinds of things and music that you'd been listening to over the years. I logged into mine, and unsurprisingly, I've got a huge amount of Hans Zimmer, because when I'm coding or working or writing, I like a bit of composery-type stuff in the background. I don't like classical music an awful lot, but I like film soundtracks. I quite like his bombastic style for films like, uh, oh gosh, immediately I go blank when I've got to do it. Dune is one of his, the Christopher Nolan film we were talking about last week, in uh, uh, Inception. Inception, also, also one of his. The Call of Duty soundtrack was originally done by Hans Zimmer as well. Crimson Tide, films like that. He's got a really sort of good background. I quite like that in the background I'm writing. If there's words, I start following the words and they end up on the on the page rather than what is I meant to be typing about in the subject. So I've listened to over 2,000 hours of Hans Zimmer this year. Uh, my youngest daughter, however, on the other hand, had listened to 2,000 hours of just one artist in the last month or something like that. So uh, I've got a long way to go in the youth. Do you mean hours or minutes? Because I was just looking at mine, and mine says minutes. Minutes is what I mean. Just checking. So I've listened to 408 artists this year, which I think sounds pretty good. Some of this will be my kids, but there is number one is The Stone Roses, and there's 1,001 minutes. And my kids love the album probably as much as I do. And then second is Blur. I got quite into the Blur this year with their new album, but also went back and did a lot, a lot of re-listening. And the same with Alan John, because Alan John was at Glastonbury. We had quite a binge in, on Alan John in my house. And a lot of the music attributed to me, like I say, is my family, because we use it in the car. We use largely my account on the home pods and things. And then I've got James. James has scored a lot higher than I thought. And then the Rolling Stones. So I've got <laughs> all of mine are uh, what you call bands that have been going for at least more than 20 odd years, if not 25. That's my top well, five. Well, I'll give you my top five. Hans Zimmer, The National, unsurprisingly. I love The National. Made it in the top 20 songs of the Guardian Songs of the Year, actually, this year. So a band that's only growing in stature rather than going away. The Sisters of Mercy, because I went to see them live. Arcade Fire. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. And if you swipe to the second page, you'll get the rest of them, but I won't go through them. Yeah, my, my second page is actually very uh, in lockstep with my first page. R.E.M., David Bowie, Manic Street Preachers, Ocean Colour Scene, and you too. <laughs> Fantastic. I would just like to say that Olivia Rodrigo makes it into my top five albums, or at least, so I'm, I am slightly down with the kids. You are far more down with the kids than me. I, it's quite nice. I still don't get why this is a website and not within the 
Apple Music app. Like, you could still make this a website, but have it within the app. It just seems odd that they jump you out. I just, I don't really understand that. Yeah, making you log in again to a thing you're already logged into, even though it's fairly seamless. I don't like that. It just feels a bit, I don't know, a bit naff. But they must be, they could have done it a nicer way from a user experience standpoint, I think. It is a nice feature, though, and it's it just gives you a little sort of warm glow when you think, oh, that makes sense, actually. That is what I've been listening to. I mean, intuitively, you know it, but it's quite nice to have that. Oh, gosh, I did discover some new people, or I revisited an artist I hadn't listened to in a few years, or there's a new album out that I sort of really loved at that point. I quite like that. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think I would have suggested I'd done a thousand minutes of the Stone Roses by any stretch, but hey-ho. That's a lot of Stone Roses. It is. Right, should we dive into the news? Let's do some news. So first story uh, from via the register, but uh, the Steam client has dropped support for macOS. So this isn't a massive surprise. Uh, when Macs went from 32-bit to 64-bit, we knew there was going to be a problem. So the older games were not going to be able to support this. And now kind of the shoe has dropped that other than the last two versions of macOS, unless the game happens to be 64-bit, well, it will go out of support. Steam for Mac isn't going to support them. It's not to say all your games are going to wor- stop working straight away. We've gone on at length how poor gaming is on the Mac uh, anyway recently. Hopefully things like Whiskey that I've been experimenting with will improve that. But this is just something if you are on older hardware, upgrading to the newest version of the Mac OS, contrary to what we were saying a couple of minutes ago, may actually stop a couple of your games working. But this is slightly old news. Yeah. I didn't like I didn't like the title of this because it says Steam Client drop support on Mac OS. It doesn't drop support on all of Mac OS. It just... It drops Intel 32-bit, which I get, and I'm amazed it's gone on this long. I just think the title's a bit misleading there, because they are still supporting Steam on macOS, but there's very yeah. few games that will actually work on it. I know they are all, all in effect, dropping support, but it, I just think it was worded poorly, because it's only on some versions of macOS, so it's end of support for 10.13 and 10.14. I can't remember what names they were. There was then 11, then 12, then version 13 which is what we're on now so this is all the intel stuff basically is what they're dropping and it's not a surprise i do think this is a shame it was nice when max had intel chips and you could do a bit of everything on it and i don't think we've quite got a good solution for doing a bit of everything whether that will come with as the apple silicon gets faster and there's better emulation i don't know but it's a little frustrating i think there's not a good way of using your mac as an intel device no, there's not, and I don't think that's going to be anytime soon. Although Rosetta gives us a lot more functionality in this area than would happen in the reverse direction. So, yeah, I agree. It's slightly misleading. They're a website. They want a bit of clickbaity stuff to get people to click on it, and it certainly made me click on it. But I think it is interesting, and it's important people do realize that there are compromises they're going to have to make if they are really dedicated gamers to some old game on Steam that's 32-bit only. Then it's going away. But frankly. This is always the case. Technology moves forward, things get left behind. You know, we're not playing an awful lot of Commodore 64 era games anymore. Well, I am because I like a bit of emulation. But that's the exception. It's certainly not the rule. Yeah, true. And I think it's something we're probably going to talk about later in the main show. But it's why I went and bought a certain handheld device this year because you could see the right was in the wall. And actually, there's a relatively inexpensive way to solve the problem. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Still, just a little PSA for you, really, that these things things are afoot and they're changing. But in line with the other news we had from a couple of weeks ago of, you know, Linux moving forward and overtaking the Mac as a gaming device anyway, largely thanks to that handheld gaming device that you just mentioned a minute ago. It's not surprising that this is a factor and, and Valve have lost lost the faith a little bit in, in Mac OS, so I don't blame them. It's taken Linux a long time 
but slowly they've just stayed there in the background and it feels like their day is coming now. Yeah. So sticking with the register for our second story, and I just thought this was quite interesting, really, that when you go to Dali or one of these services and ask them to create an AI-generated image, which more and more people do all the time, I see them pop up on Mastodon and other websites quite a lot. If you want a branding image or something like that, it's not a bad shout to go to one of these, or I had thought it wasn't a bad shout to go to one of these. But this is a little report from the register that creating a single AI-generated image needs as much power at the data center end as you're charging your smartphone. Times however many thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people are actually requesting this. That's a lot of energy. It is, and I'm not su- I'm not that surprised uh, by the amount of energy required because I've touched briefly on Microsoft Copilot and the, the licensing is quite expensive. And I think a big reason for that is because of the cost of doing all this processing of data and, and the sheer compute required to do it. Microsoft being very clear, you need at least 300 people to do co-pilot activities you know that's a lot of licenses but they need it to obviously cover the investment that they've got to make to do all the compute and i'm sure this will come down over time it's got to start somewhere i guess if you remember back to you know what mainframes used to look like and the amount of power draw they'd have you know it's reduced over the years but but it's not great is it especially when we are living in an era of sustainability and a lot of companies trying to improve their esg that's environmental social and governance this is going kind of flying in the face of that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's expensive to power the servers. It's expensive to cool the servers. It's expensive to buy the servers. And then if you read right to the bottom of this article, the sort of server of choice at the moment is a PowerEdge XE9680, which is a Dell server. You'll have to wait 39 weeks to get one. Wow, they really are backordered, aren't they? On the server end, and this is why desktops are flat as much as anything, You're all we've done is gone back to the mainframe as you were talking about, really, and shunted a load of this stuff up the other end, despite how much more powerful you know the Macs you and I are using to talk to each other on and our, our iPhones are. There's still a huge amount on server end of this, and that's not going away, I don't think, but the staggering amount of power that the AI revolution is going to cost us is is really worth thinking about at a time when COP twenty nine is going on in Dubai at the moment. That this, that, you know, your what did you call it? ESG. It doesn't look very good for some of these companies. It doesn't. It doesn't look good at all. Um, but it's interesting your uh, parallel you join between it and the mainframe. But I guess it is a bit like that. But it's worse in a way because the mainframes now are only owned by a couple of big companies. You know, it's really Dell is just really selling servers. I'm guessing in bulk to Microsoft and Google. Assuming Google still buy them, they used to build their own, if I remember correctly. And then, like AWS and what have you, whereas actually, you know, large companies aren't buying so much of them anymore because they're trying to do it all in the cloud and, and they're backing that problem off to somebody else. Yeah, it's quite a thought, isn't it? Anyway, it's an interesting story, and I'm, I am always quite curious at how much it costs to power these things. I watch my my power meter quite a lot in the house running my own NAS and servers and things like that. So I am quite curious what the draw is. And I don't seem to have added a lot to what the house costs really in comparison to having a, a fridge or two running all the time and then you turn the dryer on from very rarely these days it must be said but yeah i am not a data center i don't need to cool these things and all the rest of it and, and it's very limited use it's this has got to be a staggering amount of money we're about to starting to spend yeah definitely and like i say completely undoing everybody's green credentials so let's hope it comes down quicker there is talk obviously of more ai oriented chips and technology there which should hopefully improve this processing it will improve but it's how long is that going to take and do we really need it but that's a question for another day i don't disagree with that question i think i am in the ai skeptic camp a little bit 
Yeah, yeah. Anyway, moving on and just another little application of AI, a nice little segue into a, a viral social media story that sort of popped up out of nowhere at the weekend. And I don't know if you saw it. My first inclination was Gruber talking about it on Daring Fireball. So this is a, a UK comedian who was getting fitted for a wedding dress and she claims she took a picture of herself and her and the two pictures in the facing mirrors that were taken for what she claims was a completely standard iPhone photograph are entirely different. And the supposition was this was either photoshopped in some way or she had a different mode running on the iPhone. Did you see this story? Uh, I did not see it, but I did read it when you popped it in the show notes. Um, completely passed me by. I must confess, I, I wasn't really online over the weekend. I quite enjoyed being offline for a couple of days. But I mean, it is interesting when you look at the photo and, and the claim is that this is Apple, or at least Apple's AI on the iPhone, make it, taking the best pictures it can take for those frames and the way we know, we know that it does it. The thinking is that she actually did have it in some sort of panoramic mode, which is why it's done this to try and fill in the blanks. So for for the audio listener, and you should click the link in the show notes to see what we're talking about for the image. She's standing with her back to the camera and the right-hand mirror she's stood facing with her arms together and the left-hand image she's standing with her arms stretched out and she's not like that in the actual pose that she's making with her back to the camera. So there's something going on. And it's been referred to as a glitch in the Matrix, but it, it got a huge amount of coverage over the weekend and well done for missing it. Yeah, and look, Glitch in the Matrix, fantastic title. Again, quite clickbaity, I'm guessing. It does look like a panorama to me because you've got your hands by your side, you then bring one arm up in the middle photo and then in the in the third reflection, you know, or image of the bride-to-be, she's got both hands up. So to me, it does look like it could have easily been a panorama. How hard would that been to pull off? I don't know. But it's not a very big panorama by the looks of it. But it well, is interesting. But that is the clue as to why this has gone wrong. Apparently, the key is that the image didn't come out wide enough to be properly designated by a panorama as, as iOS when she was looking at it. So there's no icon to indicate its conversion. So it's a failed panorama shot is what's actually been recorded because she cropped it. Uh, okay, that makes sense. But still, you can understand why that would be clickbaity and interesting to people. Yeah, 100%. And it, it's quite cool because you glance at the image and you don't really notice it. So only when you read the article and you then go back and look at it, it's like, oh yeah, her hands are in completely different places in all three of the, the poses. So it is quite well done. Well, she is a comedian. She's getting married. Best of luck to her for her marriage and I hope her comedy career kicks off a little bit afterwards because she kind of deserves it after that. Yeah, 100%. Moving on, we've got three stories about the UK's Competitions and Markets Authority, which I know we love a bit of business news. We We do? Well, we talk about it a lot. I don't know. Maybe love is the wrong word. I, find, I do find it interesting. It is. And we've we've sort of supposed a few times, how does the UK seem to have this much power to look at these companies in the way that they do and scupper things? As it turned out, they just held up the whole Microsoft Activision Blizzard thing rather than actually make an awful lot of difference to it. Although it did seem to get modified, so Ubisoft were managing the cloudy part of that, didn't it? Yeah, that's true. So in this one, and the first of our three stories... We did actually report on this at the time. Apple claimed that the CMA was going beyond the remit of its original investigation looking into, I think it was Safari Mobile Browser Gaming was what the original thing was. Uh, and that fell out of the remit of the initial inve uh, investigation. So Apple said, you can't do this. The CMA put in an appeal to the, the high court or something, but it's been decided that actually CMA can continue to investigate this, th this competition appeal tribunal from March, 2023. So, this investigation go on and probably just adds to Apple's legal woes, really. Yeah, they are getting attacked on all fronts. And in many cases, I think quite rightly so, 
this isn't new, is it? The writing's been on the wall for a while that why does everybody have to use WebKit as their browser, even though you can put your own, I was going to say your own Chrome on it, but your own front end on it, you've still got to use their back end, as it were. And it just seems, it seems a ridiculous, arbitrary limitation to have in place. I get why you did it probably day one, but here we are, what, not quite 20 years later, I don't know, 15 years later, maybe more than that. Um, now surely the time to start opening some of these things up. We've got You've definitely got all the good engineers that can make this happen and do it safely. And I get we don't want to compromise on safety, but why can't Chrome be Chrome and not just have the interface, but do all the web rendering that Chrome does on any other device? I just think this, it's gone too far and this shouldn't have to happen, if that makes sense. Apple should be living by their moral compass that they keep telling us about. It does, and this sort of quote in the middle of the article I find really interesting. Apple's effort to appeal the decision to begin a formal investigation came earlier this year following complaints from the company that permitting, as an example, something other than WebKit to be used for browsing could result in iOS being a clone of Android. What? They do speak some insert expletive here when they want to, don't they? I just don't understand what world they're living in when they do that because everybody looks and goes, what are you on about? So yeah, Safari's get, three different... Do you, do you think anybody falls for it? Oh, yeah, Safari being three different browsers. But does anybody fall for this rubbish? Well, I, obviously they think they're gonna because they say it, but it's almost Trumpian in its logic, this particular statement. Again, not a good look. And I think back to my previous point, companies need to own their decisions. If you don't own it, change your decision and then own it. Yeah. So sticking with the CMA... Uh, the second one is Google complaining about Microsoft to the CMA. So, and I'll read the top of the article. Google is asking Britain's competition watchdog to make a ruling over its allegations Microsoft abused cloud software licensing in an anti-competitive way months after taking claims of its rival's mono monopolistic behaviour to the Federal Trade Commission. So this is Google quite possibly rightly saying, allegedly saying, that Microsoft with Azure kind of own the web space, cloud space in the UK. I think that's probably fair based on my assessment. And I know what we use corporately as university. I know what the NHS uses. I know you're not you're nodding sagely here. Your your enterprise probably also uses Azure. It is fair, but there are a lot of people that use AWS. Yeah, but if the when it comes down to pricing, if you're a normal small to medium enterprise and you haven't got all your gaming on not gaming but all your game on making use of microsoft's integrated services you may be a little software development house or something like that you're going to go for what's the best value option and if you're being sold the microsoft line and they're absolutely pricing you out of the market then you haven't got a chance to use something else very much yeah that is true that is true um i always find microsoft quite expensive but maybe that's just me yeah, so Google and a couple of others, including OVH Cloud, Danish Cloud Community, and Aruba.spa, Aruba is a big IT company, have also fired a complaint with the European Commission's antitrust team over Microsoft's commercial behaviour. So this isn't just a UK thing, it would seem, it's a European thing too. Yeah, I guess, again, you've probably got to start somewhere with filing these and then see it through, but it's interesting how they start with the UK. Yeah, so we've got the UK, Europe, and then something ongoing with the FTC as well. So... I think the stuff should be cheaper. Cloud pricing seems reasonably affordable at the outset, but when you actually go to scale and a lot of compute, it gets really expensive really quickly. Yeah, I would agree with that. Same experience we've had. Yeah, I know we've looked uh, as a university of doing things with a variety of cloud providers, and we spent far more money than what we're going to very quickly. So, and if that's replicated across the patch, 
it's it's a consideration that you want to get absolutely get value for money in the space. And I think that's the biggest concern uh, with cloud compute is how do you control the cost? Whereas if I have physical servers and a physical data center, I've kind of got a ceiling to my cost and I know the ceiling. Whereas I think that is um, a concern for people that, and it's also a pro obviously that I can scale the compute up and, and that, but equally I can blow my budget very quickly. Yeah. So I think fair enough. Let's get some more value in here. It is devil in the deep blue sea though ultimately if google were in the monopolistic position it would be microsoft filing suit against them because that's the way they're going to behave they're all as bad as each other 100 percent. yeah it's just they happen to be the underdog at this point and in our third cma story the uk watchdog has slammed the brakes on adobe's 20 billion dollar bid for figma which is a web-based drawing tool design tool yeah that was my understanding it's amazing they're putting the brakes on this but when adobe bought macromedia back in the day it was perfectly fine for them to buy literally the competition and it just went through so odd now that they're putting the brakes on this it seemed like a good fit figma to adobe to be honest and adobe owned literally everything else i'm surprised this one's being stopped yeah i mean for the uk the 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 digital design sector is worth £60 billion to the UK, so 2.7% of our national economy. So you could understand why maybe the CMA are a little bit twitchy about such a huge sector of the population losing access or it being monopolistically controlled by one thing. But, you know, if you look at what we've been talking about with, with Azure and things like that, there's already this sort of monopolistic behaviour across the sector. Yeah, that is true. But it's interesting. I know there was a lot of outcry, uh, certainly in social media, when, when this was proposed that Adobe were going to buy them. Lots of people were using Figma, which is obviously why Adobe bought them. Yeah, and I think, obviously, they were seeing people pivoting away to Figma. I'm guessing they have some inside stats on that. I, I don't know, and I would imagine they're going through due diligence now. But it's not a shock, is it, that Adobe were going to go for them? Why wouldn't you buy them? I mean, as an aside... I paid for Adobe products for quite a long time with an educational subscription, and that wasn't cheap either. And moving to the the, the designer tools, which I've immediately gone blank on. Affinity? The Affinity design tools. Do 99%, actually 99.9% of everything I'd ever want to do with you know desktop publishing type software or design software. I guess if you're all in on Photoshop or Adobe Premiere or one of these things, then you obviously want the tools you can get access to. But that one-time fee for the Affinity Suite, they have just upgraded them, but I haven't felt any great compunction to upgrade, has been vastly good value for money for me. I'm in the same camp as you. I do own a few of the Affinity products. They're fantastic and cost a snip. I don't think I, I would use the Adobe products enough. Now, maybe if I was a full-time photo editor or vector designer, then that'd be different, but I'm not. And like you, I just want to dive into them from time to time. I want to have an up-to-date version that works. I went with the Affinity stuff, and I was amazed with their iPad functionality. Fantastic. And equally, slightly off-topic this, I recommended Final Cut Pro as a, a video editor a couple of weeks back. But I thought I'd check out the competition for a little video I had to produce recently. So I tried DaVinci Resolve, which is a free, but there is a one-time payment of £250 or something you can make for the Pro version, which means it works with editing desks and you get a slightly higher resolution output. And I'm stupidly impressed with how good that is for a free professional piece of software and again with a one-time licensing fee if you want to do it which is the same as final cut pro so when there's alternatives to things like uh, adobe premiere that are as good as that that you edit the very professional video editors are making huge feature films on uh, then 
I, I slightly wonder about Adobe's future prospects for this. They're very locked in with those set of designers or those set of sound designers or video or, or photo editors or, or whatever it is. But there is actually some really good competition out there. And this kind of move where you're immediately trying to buy that competition out to put it within your monolithic pricing model is really bad for competition. Yeah, it is bad for competition. I'm still surprised it's been blocked just because of the, I think, Macromedia acquisition set a precedent for Adobe when they literally bought up the competition. It would be nice to see Figma go elsewhere, but I don't know where else it would go. Yeah. Apple's not going to buy it, is it, and look after it? It's completely outside of their wheelhouse, really. No, but maybe they were continuing to do okay on their own. I mean, the, the shareholders would have been, this is great, we're going to get a load of money from Adobe, we'll see our investments vest very, very quickly, this is terrific. But actually some of those smaller companies could do well. If you look at the social media space where Meta comes along and buys everybody, you know, they bought WhatsApp, they bought Instagram, they do all that kind of stuff. The competitor, Snapchat, has actually managed to do quite well by itself without being part of being bought out by one of those things. Look at OpenAI, the situation there. Well, that is a an independent company, but is getting funding from other places, but is, despite its slight drama in the boardroom, able to go on as a not-for-profit. So just because, you know, you're not the... the 50 pound gorilla in the room or whatever the correct phrase is for that there's a lot of value in being the, the sort of pushy underdog which is what apple used to be everything back to those days i don't mind that they're not they may only have a fraction of the market space but if they own a bit more of the mind share they have the ability to become the photoshop of the next 30 years yeah that's true and they could start branching out and if they're doing well enough and they can self-sustain when you mentioned davinci resolve my only concern there would be how do they pay their bills because it doesn't sound a very expensive product, but that'd be my only concern. Because they sell you big editing desks, and if you are a Hollywood thing, then they'll sell you the whole widget to go with it. And they're the same company that does black magic, all sort of camera testing, speed testing, all that kind of stuff that goes along with it. So there is actually a big business model behind that. They just know that the first taste is free. Okay, that makes a bit more sense. Yeah. Moving on and sticking with courtroom battles, a federal judge, so an American story, has vowed to investigate Google for intentionally destroying its chats. It's quite a long, well, it's not that long, but it's, it's a decent article on the verge about what's been going on. And it's part of the Epic versus Google case. So in the same way you have Epic versus Apple for them being kicked out of the App Store and not being able to charge the 30% or having to pay the 30% commission, Epic are also suing Google. But as part of this trial, it's come to light that Google are going through intentionally deleting messages in case they ever came to light in court. So out of the particular case, the judge has vowed to investigate Google for this, which I just think is incredible. That is incredible. That must be huge. And they're not the only company to do it. And we've had ministers from our parliament um, going through a similar thing of, where are all the messages that, from your phone? Why have they suddenly disappeared on this date? And you can see exactly what it is. And they claim they don't know what they were doing, but they knew what they were doing. So this is not a good look for them, has it? It's suddenly just blowing up in the wrong direction for Google. It's dreadful. And I'm going to read this quote because I really like it. Judge Donato said, it was deeply troubling to me as a judicial officer of the United States that Google acted this way, calling it the most serious and disturbing evidence I have ever seen in my decade on the bench with respect to a party intentionally suppressing relevant evidence. Wow, a decade on the bench. That, I mean, fair play. <laughs> it's pretty bad, though, if, he's, if this is unprecedented to him. Yeah, this conduct is a frontal assault on the fair administration of justice. It undercuts due process. It calls into question just resolution of legal disputes. It is antithetical to our system. Wow. Yeah, that is bonkers, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's quite, quite a statement. It really is. And 
this guy is going to be ruling on you at some point and you're annoying the judge in this way, I don't think that's a great way to get ahead in this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's not going to help your case. Absolutely not. So there you go. A few legal stories for you to entertain yourself with, but it's interesting to see how the business is moving. Yeah, no, agreed. Should we move on to Elon for some controversy? Tell us about Elon. Oh, I love that, man. Did you know uh, Twitter is now called X? I love it. Everywhere you go, X, formerly Twitter, no matter where you go. I was looking for some news today, just a slight tangent. And I wanted to go go to twitter.com or x.com. And I was like, I can't just go and search. I've got to sign in. It's so frustrating that you can't just go and look at stuff. It seems nonsensical to me. So what's happened here is that lots of advertisers have left X. And what did he say? He said, go beep yourself which seems like a pure elon move but obviously advertisers are leaving the platform it's hurting elon and that's his way of dealing with it well I'll, let me i'll read the quote but i'll try and not to say the word that got him into trouble so he was interviewed it was the new york times it was called the deal book confident conference on the story we've been talking about the last couple of weeks which is where Elon endorsed, seemingly endorsed somebody or liked something on Twitter that was clearly anti-Semitic. And if you scrolled through the tweets, your adverts for Apple or Disney or whatever, by scrolling through the tweets would appear along line along the lines of some of the anti-Semitic tweets. So that's a problem for advertisers who don't want to be set in the same light as that, but unsurprising given the nature of Twitter and its scrollable way and the way advertising comes on. So advertisers pulled out. We've reported on Apple, Disney and over a hundred other companies, as we said last week. When he attended this conference, he was asked by the interviewer what he was going to do about advertising. And he said, quoting Elon, I hope they stop. Don't advertise, Musk told this interviewer, Andrew Ross Sorkin. If somebody's going to try and blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go F yourself, go F yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is. He singled out Disney CEO Bob Iger, who discussed not wanting Disney to be affiliated with Musk while on stage earlier in the day. Hey, Bob, if you're in the audience. That's very clear. Yeah, that is clear. There's no love lost there, is there? I don't understand this advertisers blackmailing him. Well, he he's playing it back, isn't he? If, look, you're you're threatening to leave me because I'm endorsing free speech, and you're black you're you're blackmailing me in essence, not to endorse what he would determine as free speech. It's a different world. It's a very different world, but it's not a way to win any of these dosing companies back on your side. Well, what this gives him now is a, a way to roll X up and close the doors and blame if that's, and blame corporate America. So I was also reading in The Guardian today, there's a bunch of conspiracy theories about why Elon is running the company into the ground, uh, which I, I don't really want to speculate on here. But it is interesting that there are a sizable number of people that think all this is entirely intentional. Really? Yeah. But what would you get from it? Do you really want, this is a conspiracy theory, warning, horns, spoilers, all the rest of it. Woo, 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 woo. So this is not what I think, this is what I've read, that there are companies and countries that don't like free speech particularly and would like less people either inside of their borders or shareholders or whatever to move in a direction where they weren't exposed to other ways of thinking, speaking, more free press, that kind of stuff. If you shunt the whole network to the right and make it smaller and more insular, you're not being exposed to those other ways of thinking. And you're less likely to go to all the other places to get your news as well. So actually, it's in some investors' interests to do this. Wow. 
So as I say, I'm not endorsing this. It's not my idea. It's something I've read in a, a, a newspaper that I don't have the link for, I'm afraid. I, I, it didn't seem appropriate to record it as we were going through it. But it's just to say that it's probably not. It's probably just bad business. Yeah, but, that's what it feels like. Yeah, because that it doesn't feel like there's a joined-up plan to anything that's done. When he arrived with the kitchen sink in those pictures about a year ago, you know, he was going to throw all the ideas at it. And all the ideas have been bad. I don't think I ascribe it to an agenda. I just ascribe it to very shoddy business. Yeah, I would concur with that. It's just, it seems bonkers and it's playing out that way. But this does give him an out now. If he does, he, he can blame corporate America that he's had to kill the platform. Yeah, blame everyone else. Poor me. <laughs> I'm not sure poor me is the word. Yeah, there's a follow-up article I've linked to in the show notes about what Linda Yaccarino said as she tried to back away from this and basically saying, no, no, this is our free speech. It's our principles. You can't put a price tag on that. Okay. She's just his puppet. It's terrible, actually, isn't it? Imagine, you know, you find out what he's going to say. He's he's a total wild card, isn't he? Yeah, he's saying it, and then you're being briefed afterwards with the rest of the world. It's very bizarre. Yeah, not great. Should we move on? Yeah, let's do it. So we've got the NHS coming up now. Yeah, so this is just a, I find an interesting story, and I don't think it's had an awful lot of exposure, really. So at the height of the pandemic, NHS England paid a company called Palantir £1 for beginning to host some of their data during the coronavirus thing. That has then gone on to them being awarded a £330 million contract to establish and operate a federated data platform for the UK. So there's been no free competition in this for other providers to come along and potentially say they could do it for hosting all of NHS England's federated data. So I've got problems with that to begin with. Just there should be a clear and obvious pathway for... 100%. You you do a request, RFP, request for price. You go through a process, you sign it off, you agree it so there's no favoritism there's no oh i played golf with this guy i'm gonna award or, or girl i'm gonna award them the business so yeah it doesn't the start doesn't sound good does it it doesn't and back in the day when i was still worrying about these things you'd do ojek or ojeu to make sure there was a price list you knew what you were getting it was all fair and transparent and then all the stuff that you know that, that you've, you've just mentioned there so that's all bad what's worse is that palantir is actually a subsidiary of the cia Really? Yeah. How does that work? Well, the CIA have got big data centers and they're very good at managing large amounts of, of, of sensitive data, aren't they? I guess, but it doesn't sound like that's quite a divestment in your core business. Well, you know, if you've got a core set of skills, then why wouldn't you offer a data center and federated learning? And some data you've got ready access to? Yeah, so I probably shouldn't say this in a podcast because, you know, I'll be tracked by the CIA, but let's face it, I probably am anyway. And this is freely available information. That You know, this is something that's made it to The Guardian, it's been in the register, it's been quite well publicised. But I don't think the average patient, of which everybody has been a patient at some point in their lives, and almost certainly will be, you know, in England, Wales, Northern Ireland and Scotland, which, by the way, Northern Ireland, Wales and Scotland aren't part of this deal. This is NHS England, so the, the majority of the population of the UK is affected by this will have their data inserted in this federated data platform. And I don't think that's right without a clear and transparent process. What happens in five years if you want to change provider away from Palantir? It's not going to happen. You'll be locked in and it's too much effort to move. Yep. And again, from as a researcher, as a patient, 
I don't think it's very transparent and I don't like the direction of travel. I think it should be more publicly held and more publicly accountable than selling it to a, another government's country, okay, a company. Uh, agreed. It surely should be with a company based in the UK, at least. You would have hoped so. You would have hoped so. I'm a big believer in shopping local. Yeah, I, for for all of its, and I'm I'm, t- I, I'm in danger of going off on a rant. I think the NHS is one of the greatest things this country has ever produced. It's you know it's been a political football for many many years, but this kind of stuff really makes me worry about its future because data and the analysis of that data and what it means for your healthcare and what it means for costing and what it means for pricing is such a valuable thing, and understanding that is really important for for our own needs as a, as a nation. Uh, and I just think this potentially goes in a very dangerous direction, but that's my opinion at that point. Uh, I'm I'm 100% with you on this. It's, it's not a good look at all. Not a good look. Speaking of not good looks, we talked last week about the problem with Jon Stewart, which Apple had sort of more or less been said they'd been censoring his, his show, so he walked and there was going to be questions in Congress about it. They're back in the news this week with Robert De Niro accusing Apple of censoring his awards speech. Yeah, I did read this. So he he goes up to read his award speech and apparently some sentences have been removed from it on the teleprompter that he was unaware of. That's awful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It um, kind of beggars belief again, doesn't it? That they, somebody has looked at his speech before he goes to say it and then sort of edited it. So A, that's bad anyway because the words you've, you've written aren't appearing that you're going to do it. They're not your words anymore? They're not your words. And that's a level of overview and corporate control that I'm really not comfortable with. I mean, there are probably some controversial bits in his speech, but surely that needs to be agreed before he goes on. Like, what speech are you going to do? We agree, we all agree to it. And if you're going to change it, you both need to agree to it, or it's all, all bets are off. Yeah. At first, De Niro said there was a mistake on the teleprompter before realising entire sections of his speech had been removed. So instead, De Niro pulled out his phone to read the original speech. I just want to say one thing. The beginning of my speech was edited, cut out, and I didn't know about it, and I want to read it. De Niro said before launching into the missing sections of the speech were included in the article below. Yeah, and he's talking about Native Americans here and oh, other bits. And he wanted to, he did want to talk about Trump, apparently, as well. So it's, it could have been bad, I guess, but you need to agree this before a guy goes up on stage, surely? And it's Robert De Niro. He's got a platform. Yeah, he's got any platform he wants. So not a good look, Apple. You've really got to start being very careful about this. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Moving on, a little story about Uber. Have you used Uber yet? No. I've no, never used still- Uber. I've never used Uber Eats. I've never used Just Eat. I've never used any of those sorts of things. Fair enough. Well, this is a story that London has had a contentious history with Uber, really, that uh, Uber almost got banned from the city. They almost had their license revoked a couple of years ago. Uh, There was all sorts of shenanigans between the private people that could drive uh, cars, obviously, which is what Uber was. It was democratizing that kind of transport, crowdsourcing its transport through Uber, not being official London black cabs or hackney carriages. It's a big deal in London doing the knowledge and all that kind of stuff to get one of those hackney carriage licenses. Anyway, Uber has struck a deal with London black cabs that you'll be able to use the Uber app for them. So I think that's probably only a good thing. Feels like, I must confess, I am probably unique in that I don't really use them. I'm off to London tomorrow, actually. 
But I'll be honest, when I go, because I go in on the train and I often get the tube, when I then want to go anywhere, I often just get the tube. I, it, it's just not something I think of is to get a cab. I've just never really been in that world. I'm always, I'll just go on the tube. Um, maybe I should give, give an Uber a go. I used to have a meeting out in North London where there was no easy bus route and certainly no tube route. So sometimes it was just as easy to jump in a cab, particularly with this four or five of you. It works out cheaper that way. No, I 100% um, see it. Often I travel on my own. And like I, said, I don't know why, I just it never goes across my mind to get a cab. I just can't explain it because I, I just I guess I've never done it. I'm not quite used to doing that. Yeah, and the flip side is if you go to a city or a visitor to a city where you're not familiar with the transport network, the tube is quite intimidating. I can see that. So if you've come from even somewhere like New York where it's a pretty basic subway line, then actually just being able to call an Uber, you know it's fairly safe, drivers are rated, etc., etc. As a path of least resistance to a visitor, it makes sense. And this puts it in more people's hands because there's a lot of black cabs in London. So I think this can only be a good thing. Uh, Uber shady business dealings aside, I quite like the democratization of this. I like knowing I can get in a car, I'll be here in three minutes, it'll take me 30 minutes, and I've already paid. No money changes hands. Yeah, I agree with you there. And maybe I need to need to try it. Maybe you should. Well, don't try it just for the sake of trying it. Obviously, the tube is a lot more environmentally friendly. Yeah, one thing with the tube, though, I think a barrier to entry before was buying tickets for the right destinations. That's kind of all gone now, where you just scan your phone as you walk through, and then you scan it when you get back off. And it's once you've done it once, it's like, sold. I don't even need to think about it. Yeah, the Oyster card started that journey, I think, is a great thing. One plastic thing that you, you topped up, and you could get on a bus, a tube, a boat, you know, a train. It just made sense. Uh, I, I have noticed, top tip for those traveling to London, that be very careful on the Elizabeth line going from Reading into London, because, or the other way around, I should say, from London to Reading, because when you go off at Reading, your Oyster card will not work. Oh, I didn't know that. Because you're outside of London. Uh, of course. Uh, and, the, yeah. and the Elizabeth line's quite new. It is quite new. You can go to Heathrow Airport from Reading Station now. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Good. Enough about local London transport. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Spotify? This was just, possibly should have gone into follow-up. We've talked a lot about the tech industry cutting jobs. Spotify is going to let 17% of its workforce go, which is about 1,500 people out of the 9,000 they employ. I am amazed they employ 9,000 people. That seems like a lot. And I know it's more than just building an app and, and all of that, but that's a huge workforce, is it not? It seems, and you see this a lot with companies, and I do feel for the people being, you know, put at risk of redundancy and how, all of that. But companies get get quite big quite quickly, don't they? And I think sometimes there's a lot to be said for being a bit leaner and a bit meaner. But that seems like a lot of people for one application. It does. I guess there is a lot. There's people out there making the money, doing the deals, doing the advertising, design, app development, you know, record industry shenanigans, I guess. I mean, I can understand, but I agree. It's a lot of people for... Well, you need support, you need HR, don't you? You need all the functions, office managers, I'm guessing, janitors, you know, all those kinds of things, assuming these people are all directly employed. But 9,000 just feels like a big number. I think I would have been surprised if you said, there's 1,000 people at Spotify. So it just feels a lot to me. Good company in the sense that, you know, they started in Sweden, they built up very quickly, and they've got such an enormous brand in a short space of time. They really are you know between apple music and spotify they're the big players in streaming music 100 percent, yeah great name loads of people know about it 
But that's a lot. I just couldn't get over the sheer quantities of staff they've got. Well, they fired all these staff and they're not paying the artists, as we talked about the last couple of weeks. So not a good look either. Well, I guess they're trying to streamline their business model because they haven't got a grip on their cost base. Clearly. Should we move on to media? Let's do a little bit of media. You talked about a film you'd watched last week, so I actually found five five minutes to myself to watch a film too. It's called Europa Report. It was on Netflix. It's from about 2013. Nobody very famous in it. One of the actors from John Wick is really the only person I noticed noticed apart from Charlotte Copley. Have you seen District 9? He's a South African actor. He's terrific. He played Howling Man, Mad Murdoch in the A-Team film as well. He's a terrific actor, Charles Copley. You don't see him around often, often enough. Anyway, quite a simple low-budget sci-fi movie about some astronauts who go to Europa because they think there might be life there. It's vaguely set in the real world as to what potentially could happen. It goes off the rails a little bit towards the end. But just a fun little 90 minutes, quite well, quite tightly scripted. Impressive for the budget for what they managed to get to do with it, really, and I just quite enjoyed it. A good solid three and a half out of five stars from me. Never heard of it, but do you know what? Sometimes I quite like a film like that, nice, easy watching film. You're not over investing it, you're not also expecting it to be the world's most amazing film, and actually, it's quite a treat, I think, when you watch something and you just generally enjoy it for what it is. Um, so, fair enough. And it's a I wouldn't call it a horror, I'd call it with drama elements largely, but it's rated to a 12, so even younger kids could watch it without blood, guts, gore and a lot of swearing. No, that is good, and I'm in the market for films around that age group with my children now because I'm trying to show them other things. Fair enough, so that's just a little thought. And on that note, we did actually watch, I managed to get him to watch about half an hour of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which I love. Uh, and my eldest really enjoyed it and was up for watching all of it. My youngest very much was not. So maybe maybe I've done it a little bit too early. But I just thought they'd enjoy it of somebody faking to be ill, which they did find quite funny and licking his palms. And, you know, how, how they, and he talks to the camera. And they did enjoy the concept of it. But films just move a lot slower, don't they? Older films are just generally a bit slower paced. And I think my youngest struggles with that. But I'm hoping he'll come around to it because I love films. And I really want to watch a lot more different variety of films with them. No, I think that's perfectly fair. It is, we've talked about this before, when you introduce your children to your favourite movies or something you think is special, there's a real sort of fine balancing act between that. Yeah, they're old enough, they'll get it, they'll understand it now, and them really not being ready. Yeah, and it lands flat and you've ruined that movie for them forever. You have. Dad made me watch this. Dad made me watch this rubbish. Don't know why he likes it. Next up, Slow Horses Series 3. Have you watched any of it? I've watched all of it. I'm bang up to date. Well, then you're ahead of me. I've only watched episode one. I've downloaded episode two to watch on the train on the way home tomorrow night. I loved it. I just love all of it. The film production, the quality, the acting. Loved it. Bit different to the book. There's some slight deviations. Nothing major. Obviously, so far, the main plot points have been hit, but they just did things slightly differently. But I think it's really good. And if I get five minutes tomorrow, I'm tempted to go and see where they filmed it because I just thought I feel like I should do that while I'm in London. It's... A continuously terrific show, I've got to say. It's perfectly cast. I could not imagine anybody other than Gary Oldman playing that character now. I know, he's fantastic in that role. It just He's really encapsulated it really well. Him and Kirsten Scott Thomas are just absolutely terrific, but the, all the rest of the actors are terrific. The music choice is good. The story's really compelling. It's 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 just, it's a great show, and everybody should be watching it, and Apple should really be making even more of it than they are. Yeah, 100% agree. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. And when I started watching it yesterday, I didn't realise there's only two episodes out. I think episode three comes out on Wednesday. So I thought more had already got in the canon, which is what I was trying to do 
Um, what's the what's the Moon series I need to watch? For All Mankind. For All Mankind. So that I've also got ready in the hopper. It's annoying to me that Slow Horses and For All Mankind have landed at similar times because I can't quite fit both in at the moment. Yeah, I get that. But these things often happen. I am worried, I've got to say, that with all the studio strikes and all the rest, that we're going to have no content whatsoever for a period of time. I am right. No, there are only two. For some reason, I thought there were three. But they dropped episode one and episode two on the same day. That's where the confusion came. I think that's came. correct. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just assumed they'd dropped more than that, but maybe that's just me. But no, love it. Apple TV is good. I think you're right. We're going to have a deluge now and then a drought coming. Unless they've got some stuff sat in the wings in the cannon ready to go like, who knows it's always possible I suppose um, next up on my list was I've been on a bit of a David Fincher splurge which is why I haven't watched played any games or really watched any other other films so I've managed to watch I think I said I've watched Panic Room and then I've gone and watched Bit the Social Network and then I've watched uh, The Zodiac and I don't know if you've ever seen Zodiac but it's about the Zodiac Killer and it's quite a slow film it's two hours long it's got an amazing cast in it very beautiful to watch and I never really enjoyed it as a film I thought it was a bit slow and it's got a frustrating end to it if I'm honest because it's quite inconclusive but actually I went back and watched it generally really enjoyed it I do like a David Fincher film and I think I've watched Seven The Game Panic Room and then obviously like I say a bit bit of Social Network bit of this I haven't gone back and watched Dragon Tattoo or, or Gone Girl yet but I would be tempted to so love his films but anyway that's what I've been doing this week yeah, some good films there. Seven is a terrific film. I watched it with the kids earlier this year. I think we talked about it at the time. That, yeah, your that kids are definitely older than mine. Well, my youngest turns 18 on Saturday. So yeah, they, they definitely are. Yeah, I know. It's it's terrifying. That's probably a, a follow-up for another day, having two adult children. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I, I get the, the David Fincher interest. Always been an interesting filmmaker. There are some top, top movies in amongst that. And I'm with you. I, I kind of want to make a bit more effort to sit and watch films and enjoy them. Like, there's lots of classic films I want to go back and watch, like Lawrence for, of Arabia, for example, is a film I've never sat through and watched. Never seen it. But it's David Lean, is it, I think? Classic historical thing about this character. Oh, God, I want to say T.S. Eliot, but it's not, is it? I don't know. No, W.E. Lawrence is who it was. T.S. Eliot was a poet? <laughs> George Eliot, isn't it? Anyway... True story, or, or I think slightly romanticised true story with Peter O'Toole, Omar Sharif, others. Epic film, three and a half hours long, four hours, something like that. But it's meant to be sort of one of the linchpins of modern cinema. And I've never seen it. And that kind of thing, going back and watch them, like I made the effort to watch Casablanca last year, and things that I haven't watched, I even watched Citizen Kane. That's been on my list for ages to watch because David Finch did a film called Mank, which is to do with Citizen Kane. I've never watched either, and I love a David Fincher film, as I've just said. And your thumbs down on the camera is... Uh, 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 Citizen Kane. Is it bad? It, well, uh, it's probably not fair to say it, because it's an old film. It's an old black and white film. And it's been coined as the genesis of modern filmmaking. It goes straight into the film. There's no credits, the, you know, this kind of stuff. It sets a hook, and it goes through it. But um, as you were saying with Fer Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I think sensibilities have changed a lot. And I'm quite sensitive to, to, to film. Casablanca was terrific. You know, it's also a film set, you know, filmed in the 1940s, 1950s. It's an absolutely, it's a gem of a film that's beautifully scripted, acted, looks a million dollars. I have almost no complaints about it. It was far funnier than I thought it was going to be as well. Uh, so a film of a similar era, 
the, the sort of gulf between what I was expecting and what I got was sort of really dramatic. I was not very impressed with Citizen Kane. Mm, I've been meaning to watch it for yonks, but I haven't got to it. And it is tricky because sometimes you go and watch an old film and love it. And sometimes you'll go back and go, I don't get what all the hype was about. And it is a problem when something is overhyped. And everybody's different. And, you know, I, I, I laud that and I applaud that. that you, you know, if you enjoy it on merits, I didn't see because I'm a bit... I overlooked something really obvious where I don't appreciate the way something's shot or a plot detail I missed that didn't carry through. That's great, you know. I always bang on about how much I dislike Lost in Translation. Lots of people love Lost in Translation. No, it was awful. <laughs> I'm glad we agree on that. I don't think you're going to like Citizen Kane based on that. But I can. it's one of those, you can look at it from a distance and I, you can think, I see why people like it, but it's not for me. Yeah, I would agree with that. So I'm not going to mock the art or the artists, but it's not for me. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Right. Next up, though, on the list was Killers of a Flower, Flower Moon. This potentially is going to be on sale tomorrow, apparently. I assume this means the UK as well. And I'm assuming that's why Robert De Niro has given a speech earlier. It's all linked. It says it's Apple's film that Martin Scorsese has directed. So I'm curious if that's out and to buy, I would probably pick that up because I know I would enjoy watching it. And I want to see, and I do want to see it. It's got some great actors in it. It's Martin Scorsese. We've had a great winter of films, haven't we? It's fantastic. It's been a good year for films. I will not buy this. I will wait for it to come to Apple TV Plus and I will stream it there. I'm comfortable to buy it. If, if I've got two hours to watch it, I'll buy it and watch it. No, I think that's fine, but I could be watching Lawrence of Arabia while I'm waiting to come for streaming. Yeah, no, I can understand that too. The problem I hate is when's it come to streaming? If you're saying it's coming like January the 1st, I'll probably wait. But if it's going to be six months, then I'll probably want to watch it. I don't think it's going to be six months. Things tend to come to streaming quite quickly these days, don't they? It's it's no it's no exceptions when when things aren't on a streaming service somewhere rather than than they are. Saying that we haven't had Oppenheimer on streaming or Barbie yet, they've got to have that period where people are going to buy them, which is I completely understand. You've got to recoup before you get the streaming tranche of money. You've got to recoup a bit of that money somewhere else. So I'm fine with it, but also I can wait. Yeah, it's like your books being in hardback and then paperback, isn't it? And so I, I do get it. Good. No, but I will watch it when it comes because it is interesting. Anything else in media? No, I think that's it. I'm gonna. I've just thought I have been watching for all mankind. I'm up to date on that as well. Excellent season. Yeah, I need to carve out some time for that one. You do. Games. I could have written and talked about wasting my life playing Call of Duty this weekend and the weekend before because it was double points and everything. I have said it's not a very good game. Yeah, I'm still playing it. Uh, so I won't talk about Call of Duty. I will just talk about another little game called Type Shift, which has been out a while and I'd forgotten about, but I came back to it the other day. It's another word puzzly game by Zach Gage, uh, who we've known and loved by this podcast. Uh, it's on Android as well, actually. It's not just an iOS game for once, which is very unusual. Uh, the advertising's pretty egregious until you buy a pack to unlock some of the words. Uh, but it's really good. I've enjoyed spending a couple of minutes on it. Uh, check it out, Type Shift. I'm, I'm doing it as we speak. Oh, apparently I've already downloaded it. There you go. Like I said, it's been out a while. I'm going to download it and have another look at it. Anyway, it's begging for the uh, iTunes Store Apple Arcade experience to remove that the, the, the ads and everything for it. And I'm surprised that they haven't. I did see a bit of news today that his studio, Puzzlo or Puzzlemo, has actually been bought by somebody else at Gage's studio. So maybe that'll have an impact on how some of these deals have been done too. But anyway, it's a great little game. And I've got nothing else in games. Have you? Uh, I've played literally nothing. Uh, this game that you've just recommended is six years old. It was last updated two years ago. So there you go. So I wouldn't be surprised if it is on Apple Arcade at some point. 
I have set it to download. I will have a look after this. Check it out. Main show? Main show, let's do it. So we thought we'd talk uh, just about some festive gift ideas, just some recommendations, I guess, that we've got of things we've bought or we are buying for other people. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. While there's still a bit of time before the festive season is upon us, if you are looking for just a couple of little ideas of things we've liked or can recommend, to suit a number of budgets, we're not immediately going to go for a Mac Pro at nine grand. We'll try and fit something in. Yeah, let's, I think we've got more with the stocking filler line and maybe a laptop recommendation at the end. Yeah, I think so. So, shall I kick off? Go for it. So, I was thinking less than 20 quid, and it's something I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, but I think I'll bring up again because I've actually had to use it a couple of times since. Uh, USB-C slash USB-A stick, all built into the same thing. It was £13 on Amazon during Black Friday. It's not a million miles away from that now, frankly. But as a stock, 128 gigs, which is enough to get a couple of films on or big files or all the rest of it. You got a slider one way as USB-A, you got a slider the other way as USB-C. If there's a person in your life who's transitioning from an older laptop to a newer one, USB ports are becoming a thing. It's just a really handy thing to have in your bag and makes a nice little stocking filler. And a good fidget toy at that because you can flip the USB-A-C switch back and forth, back and forth. No, I think it's a good idea. They are great if somebody's... in in need of one and it's future proof and also if you ever work on older devices it will work on that too it will on the in the same vein and a little bit more money than that i want to talk about sd memory cards do you ever think about sd memory cards yes you do i think i've my my camera's got some newfangled card in it which never really took off i think i wish they'd kept it sd i like an sd card because they're in lots of things so i've got a couple of gopros in the house um I've got my Steam Deck, I've got my Nintendo Switch, all of which take SD or micro SD cards. So what you want are nice big fast ones that are going to be useful for for all these things. So even if you buy a very small Steam Deck, you can get a 512 gig or terabyte SD card to put in there. So what I would say is you want to be thinking about getting like a 512 or or at least 256 gig fast so that's, I think they're called SDXC, or the, or the acronym you're looking for in amongst your SD cards, to make sure you get one that's fast enough to run on the Steam Deck. So you can get something like a 256 gig Samsung Evo SDX card for £19.29. And I think that's not a bad thing to gift somebody. If you know they've got a GoPro, they're going skiing, they're going on holiday, you're getting them a Steam Deck or something like that, or a Nintendo Switch for Christmas, having a couple of these bigger ones around. At least 256 If you can spring for it, go up, it'll cost 40 quid for a 512 one or a little bit bigger for a terabyte. Get a nice big fast SD card and it's just a nice little stocking filler. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. It's a good little stocking filler and... If you get a quick one, somebody may have a, a slow one in their camera, this will speed them up. It can't do any harm. Absolutely. And if you've got an Android phone, the chances are you've got a slot for one of these anyway. Yeah, fair point. I hadn't thought about that. Not Google Pixel, obviously. Yeah. USB-C chargers. Have you got something for us on that? Well, I just thought this is something that's always useful, whether it's nice braided USB-C braided cable. You know, we're all moving, obviously, to USB-C devices slowly. It might be worth just thinking where you have chargers around the house or for a friend, like actually I'll get them a you know, braided USB-C cable to put in their bag or like a plug with fold-out pins. You know, you can get some really nice stuff for travel or for use around the house. Now, I try and make sure we've got some loitered around the house and as my family move off of 
lightning they will become more useful same vein i've done the same with magsafe like a magsafe puck now they are quite expensive they're sort of around 40 pounds and you need the USB-C plug to go with it but you may already have some but fantastic way of charging we should leave one on the side or one by somebody's bedside it's just a nice way of charging your device and all you're doing is laying it down you don't even have to think about it but some of the brady cables are really good especially if maybe if you've got a child who doesn't look after their cable and it's all frayed and bent getting the nice braided one might last a little bit longer and charge their phone quicker so that, that was kind of all i was going with it i just like i say, i think you can get some nice plugs and 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 cables um and treat somebody for that because we all need to charge our devices no i think that's fair and i've got a recommendation too of a specific one that i've bought recently and of course i've lost the link for it now it's made by a company i've never heard of it's called Sehency, C-E-H-E-N-C-Y. It's £36.98 on Amazon, so you can probably find it cheaper somewhere else. But it's a USB-C charger that has three USB-A fast chargers and three USB-C fast chargers. Up to 167 watts through one of the USB-C fast chargers. So you can actually charge your laptop and your phone and your watch at a very fast speed for that for not a lot of money it gives you it extends a lot of ports by the side of a bed or on a desk or something like that it's not a huge amount but it will absolutely transform how quickly you can charge something if your device supports it obviously but actually sorts out your cable nightmare a little bit as well so if you do buy some of those nice braided cables and things which are three or four pounds generally it gives you a lot more facility to make use of that yeah, I've not heard of this brand before, but actually on Amazon in the UK, you get 20% off the £36 you've just quoted. If you just, I don't get why you have to tick a box to apply the voucher. It always seems odd on Amazon to me. Um, I actually have something similar to that, quite a bit older now, um, and I pull it under our TV unit, and the children could put their iPads in there to charge, and um, controllers and various other pieces, so that we had like a charging station before the children had phones it was really good what i didn't mention actually is i actually bought quite a few things made by ugreen or anchor i think they're very good for accessories like say whether it's pin you know plugs that fold the pins in which in the uk is quite important because we have massive chunky plugs here or whether it's usb or hdmi cables they're all really nicely made and really high quality yeah i'd go with that anchor is a fairly reliable brand occasionally i do branch out and try something else when i want to get that sort of price performance ratio right i have had this exact model on my desk for i think about eight weeks now it hasn't gone on fire yet it's charged everything i've put in in front of it very very well it doesn't even get that hot actually so i've been quite impressed with that i've charged my steam deck with it i charged my uh, airpods with it i charge all manner of things with it including my laptop from time to time so i'm really quite impressed with the device yeah i'm always nervous i think about buying brands i haven't heard of when it involves charging things yeah it's fair enough but thankfully we've got uk and eu standards that they've got a slap on the side of these things that you hope they've paid attention to yeah that's true i then put in a miros matter smart plug now i've bought a couple of these for myself and i've actually bought some for some gifts for people in my life and actually i think they're quite good they're 20 pounds but they got 20 percent off if you tick the box again on amazon in the uk but i thought this was a good way and it was my son's idea to give one to my to my parents for christmas to get them into the idea of look you could turn your lights on from your phone before you come home or you know what have you or or if you're going to be away you could set up a schedule with it without having to do the thing with the pins that we used to have here a lot in the uk and the, the old clicky timers i thought it's quite a nice thing and i must confess the matter ones are very good i have found it to be a lot quicker than the old home kit ones and a lot more responsive so i'm slowly moving over to them i think but i just thought it's quite a good price like i say 20% off here in the UK. I paid about 15 to 16 pounds for a couple. I think that's quite good. 
yeah, this kind of thing is a good idea, particularly with the discount, the fact that it's matter and it works with HomeKit and Alexa and, and the, whatever the Google thing is as well. So that was the promise of matter that it didn't really matter. You didn't need that pun not intended that that you didn't have to be all in on one platform. You didn't have to run things like I do, like the Homebridge software to make things work across them. This should just work. It's reassuring to hear that it is just working after all the trials and tribulations we both had with Matter getting up and running in the first instance. I'm interested to see, hear you say it's a little bit faster now because that wasn't what you said right at the beginning. Is it improved? Yeah, it didn't seem any different when I first tried some Matter stuff, but I have this one by my bed for my light and I'm super impressed with it because I'll, you know, I'll turn it on, maybe as I'm going upstairs, I'll read my book and then I'll, I'll turn it off, just tap my phone and it's like instant. It's it does seem to be much improved and that's what matters meant to bring is it doesn't all need to go up to the cloud and come back down again it, it should operate locally so i like these kind of things i've got a couple of older non-matter ones for christmas trees and lights and things like that around the house so i can schedule things to come on and off particularly in the festive season it's quite nice to come down and have the christmas tree lights already on when you're downstairs and all that kind of stuff or manually control them on your phone if you want to so i quite like these kinds of smart plugs so i think it's a good show yeah, I forgot to mention that yeah, these plugs do have a button on it as well, whereas plugs I've bought in the past don't have a button on it, so you can't manually override it, if that makes sense. So it's quite nice that if somebody comes to the house and they want to turn on the Christmas lights, they could just push the button if the plug is accessible. Yep. In a similar vein, I want to recommend Philips Hue lights. So it's not quite as straightforward as your thing. They do need to buy a hub as well. So the Philips Hue Bridge is the hub part of it. Separately, it costs £44.55. You need the hub to enable all the other things. But these days, it is also Matter. They've released a software update that makes it Matter compatible. But then they always already worked with HomeKit, Amazon Alexa, and actually almost everything else that you want to do. If you have a new software device, you just press the button on the hub and it pairs all the devices onto your platform of choice or or matter it's quite a nice thing and then having the bridge opens you up to the whole world of hue they have smart plugs as well they've got a variety of light bulbs they've got led light strips they've got christmas tree lights there's a huge range of things you can go i think i have 16 to 18 lights in the house now that have hue light bulbs in them including my external lights and you can do very clever things with them such as you can obviously set the timers to come on and off at certain times a day. You can set the lights to it. makes every light on your house dimmable as well, which is also quite nice if you just go for the plain white bulbs, which I do. When I first bought them, I got some of the ambience bulbs, which are much more expensive, I must say, and let you pick colours as well. But the coloured bulbs don't go very bright. I'm an old man. I need bright lights. So I wanted the, as, much, as many lumens out of them as I could get. So they're all bright white bulbs that you can dim if you want to. So you can get to like half nine at night and set them to dim you can have a movie watching plug-in where you can sort of dim them down nothing or turn them off you know you can make them a little bit warmer if you want to as well it just gives you lots of options with your lighting and then you can also do things like program a holiday mode which will randomly turn them on and off over the course of an evening so when you're on holiday it looks like somebody's in the house and moving around if that's what you want to do i quite like that sort of feature set you can get other sort of plugins and things for them. So Philips sell a very expensive thing that sits behind your TV or if you buy their expensive TVs that broadcasts out the, the sort of overall theme of the movie or TV show that you're watching beyond the borders of the TV. It's meant to look quite cool. But you can actually, with Hue light bulbs, do that anyway. You can get an HDMI box that plugs into this setup and will give you that rather than having to buy an expensive Philips TV. So I, I've just been very impressed with Hue light bulbs. They don't fail any more quickly than any other LED light bulbs I have. 
Yes, they're a bit more expensive. They're about £15 for one bulb. You can get screw fix or socket or GU sockets or fittings or whatever you want. Hue light bulbs, they've worked for me. You've lost me in the rabbit of Hue products. I was just having a look, look round. Um, I can't explain this next statement I'm going to say is I've never owned anything Hue related, which is odd because I don't know why I haven't. I like Philips as a brand. The Hue brand seems very good. Uh, but I've never really thought to buy anything. And I, like I said, I don't really know why. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, lots of companies make these smart light bulbs these days, but I thought I'd go with, with Philips because it's a brand new, and I like their integration at that time, a home kit. That's what I wanted. I wanted them to work with my Apple devices, unsurprisingly, given the nature of this podcast. But they've been good citizens. You know, they've kept it updated. I've never had to replace the bridge. You can get extra bits and pieces for them to make them family friendly, like stick on light switches. So you don't have to rely on the app to do it. You can just put a wireless light switch on the wall. They're quite cheap as well. And you can actually physically turn the lights in that room off and on from one of those light switches. So they're family friendly. Yep. That's quite important. I should really go and have a look at them. I, like I said, I can't explain why I haven't. There's, there's no real logic to it because I, I love a bit of tech. Yep, it's, and it's a good one. But again, quite affordable. You can start with just a bridge and a couple of light bulbs and see if you like it. And if you don't like it, not the end of the world. Yeah, no, that is cool. Should we do a little bit of gaming stuff? I don't think I've got much in here, but we, we kind of put gaming in as a, a title. And I thought, what I recommend gaming-wise. And for me... And you've got to look around, but I would probably go with a PS5 if you were going to buy something gaming related. I think it's a great console. Get one with a DVD slash Blu-ray drive if you're into that. But I just think for the amount of money it is, I think it's a great device and it looks stunning. It is expensive, but I was just trying to think of something a bit different that you wouldn't have maybe selected. So that, that'd be my vote because there's a lot more PS5 games now. They're always having a sale on, so it's not too expensive to go digital only i think i think it's it's coming it's coming out to be a lot more comparable if you keep an eye on the sales so that that was that was my recommendation if you wanted to plump and spend some serious money on a console so i'm going to ask you why a playstation and not an xbox one s mm, it's a good question i think it's just because i'm a playstation guy just just that's it and you can't play gran turismo on an xbox you can't play Gran Turismo on an Xbox. That is about the only thing you can, well, that you that can't play on an Xbox. probably is one of the only things you can't play. No, look, I, th- I think you're right, 100% right. If you, if budget is a problem, the Xbox Series S is fantastic. And you should 100% go and get one of those if you don't want a 4K device and you want to maybe do the gaming pack. And like I said, budget is a, a concern. I think that's a really good idea because you can pick up a Series S quite cheap. You can then do the gaming pack at, what, £10 a month? So if it's slightly cheaper than the PS5, you could have a lot of games and a whole year's worth of entertainment and you still have the hardware going into the next year. I think we can we can do a nice price differentiation here of why you might want one rather than the other. If you really want to play Spider-Man or you really want to play Gran Turismo and you've got a nice big 4K TV with a higher refresh rate, buy a PlayStation 5. Yeah. Without doubt. Because they do support that faster frame rate. The games do look good. It's a very consistent uh, overlay. I think the quality level is slightly better in general for the hardware. Not talking about the software, but the hardware is. And you do have some of those exclusive games. And you can still play Call of Duty and all that kind of stuff on it too. I do most of my gaming on a PlayStation 5 these days. Fine. If you don't have a high refresh rate television at 4K and all the rest of it and you want to save a little bit of money, an Xbox Series S is £249 in the UK. You get three months free 
Xbox Month's Ultimate Game Pass thing, which is almost every game on the Xbox that you can just download and run straight away. So on a bit more of a budget, that's still going to be an awesome console for somebody to play with. I don't think you can go wrong with an Xbox Series S. And I think that bridges the divide between the two things. Yeah, I would agree with that statement. Fair enough. My my recommendation for gaming is a Steam Deck. And it's not the shiny, happy, brand new OLED Steam Deck that you just missed out on buying. It's the last generation of Steam Deck, which is £349 for the 256 gig original model, which is a fair chunk of money, £100 more than an Xbox. But on that, you can play almost every game that's on Steam in your hands and plug it into a TV and plug a mouse and keyboard into it if the, if the choice takes you. And then you can unplug it and take it with you. I think it's a terrific device. If you've got any Steam games at all, it maximizes that. And you can take part in all these sales that Steam put on. And if you want to play a lot of games and own the games, own the games as much as you do on these games that you download. I'm loving my Steam Deck. I just think it's a terrific bit of hardware. They've improved it with the OLED one, but there's nothing wrong with the original model. And you can get a nice big SD card, as has already been recommended. And you can get on and you can just do it. I would concur with this. I've got the Steam Deck. For me, I bought mine predominantly not to be handheld, but to be more a portable device that I can take to my house or to, to my shed and play keyboard and mouse games predominantly. But I think it's a fantastic device. It's really versatile because you can go handheld, but equally if you do then want to go and play something that's you know like a Command and Conquer or an Age of Empires, you can easily pair it with a keyboard and mouse. You may already have one. You may have a USB-C, uh, USB-C one. You may have a USB one that you can plug in. I think it's a fantastic device. That's a good price. I would 100% endorse your recommendation. Thank you very much. Anything else? Oh, we have got one more section, haven't we? We have to make a Mac choice. Do you want me to say, or do you want to say? Uh, well, it's got your name next to it. You wrote this one down, but I 100% agree with your recommendation here too. Well, this is dead easy. So if you are really looking for that special someone in your life to actually give them the gift of a nice new Mac for Christmas, there's only really one choice. If they haven't already got one, if they have already got one, why are you buying them one? Good grief. The only Mac to buy is a MacBook Air M2 with 16 gigs of RAM and a 512 gig hard disk. It costs you the princely sum of 1,549 British pounds, but that is the that Mac will do almost everything for you for a large number of years. I completely agree with this. It's fantastic. The industrial design is really good. It looks beautiful. It's got a great screen on it. I nearly bought one of these before I bought my MacBook Pro. The only reason I didn't is I got a MacBook Pro slightly specced up but for not a lot more but it was all in the timing for me i would 100 recommend this and a lot of people don't want a macbook pro because it's big and chunky and they are big especially when you put them next to the air so i think this is a fantastic device and i think the 13 is the sweet spot the 13 inch screen the 15 is nice but i think this is better i think this is what most people want in a macbook air I think so too. Yeah. Spend the extra money on a bit more RAM and a bit bigger hard disk. You can plug this into any external uh, any external screen. Yes, you can go a nice Apple Studio display if you want, but if you want something bigger for the time that it's docked, plug it into a 4K screen, plug it into a 1440p screen, you're going to get a good extension to your desktop and you're going to have an excellent Mac experience with this. You're not missing out on anything compared to any of the more expensive models, I don't think, unless you really need a couple more ports and an SD card reader. You can get a dongle to do that. This is the Mac to get. A hundred percent. It's fantastic. And it's got a lot of horsepower in it. It's fantastic. Would 100% endorse your recommendation. Thank you very much. On that, we can agree. That's a nice way to finish the show. Uh, nice app of the week. The show. App of the week. Uh, go for it. Uh, I've already talked about it. It's TypeShift. 
It's a, it's a silly little game. The advertising's awful, but it's a lot of fun. It's six years old. It'll work on your phone really well, and it'll divert you for four or five minutes. I wouldn't put it up there with threes for you, Chris, but I think it's a good little game. Yeah, you're going to have to take threes out of my cold, sweaty, dead hand. I can't remember what the saying is, but I love that game. Okay, my thing of the week, and I'm going to... I never know how you pronounce this company, but they make pencils. I assume they are an international brand, and it's Stedtler. I don't know if I pronounced that correct. You can probably pronounce it better than me. I think it's Stadler, right? Stadler. And they make the yellow and black pencils. So I've bought one of these. It is a stylus for my Kindle Scribe, and you can use it on other devices that have a similar screen. The only thing that's missing is a button, because I kind of like the button on the uh, Kindle pencil, where you could push that, and then your, your, your pencil becomes the highlighter. Um, but it's just a really nice device. It feels nice in the hand. And it's nice to have a bit of color, because the one that comes with the Kindle is gray, and it's got grey Amazon logo on it whereas this is just a nice little bit of colour I think it's really good it isn't magnetic though that's one thing against it but I just think it's really nice and it's cheered me up a little bit I see there's two models of this there's a Jumbo and a Norris Digital which one did you go for? Oh, I do they're all Norris Digitals but I have the Jumbo one and you can just buy the regular Norris Digital which is more akin to a long thin pencil the only reason I didn't go for the the longer, thinner pencil one is because it didn't have the rubber on the end, and I quite like just having the rubber without having to change tool. So it is quite a bit of money, it was £50, but I decided I was worth it. Spoil yourself, why not? I do find it weird on Amazon's website though. You can subscribe and save. I can't imagine why you need more of these. You can buy some replacement tips for it, which you can with most of these pencils, but it's odd that they've got a subscribe and save option because you should need to buy the hardware once. A bit odd that. I think we can call that a show, Chris. Yep, and on that note, it's the end of the show. So look, if anybody wants to get in contact, Rod is at g5maniac at marston.scott. I'm at underscore cgp at marston.social. Or you can drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. Cheers, Rod.